why are these things not working together kind of thing. So yeah. Makes me really happy. Like, oh, I got to put that crap aside and call Merle and do this. I so, had hey. the same thing. Uh, just just getting ready for the show. It was like mm -hmm. everything went wrong. Like, why why doesn't why doesn't and nothing's working. I I yeah. wanted to come in and just be all casual and calm, yeah. but uh, yeah. it was panic frenzy on the way up to the show. Hey, it's perfect way to get started. Yeah, we're recording. So welcome to Over Fifty, starting over, folks. Uh, I'm Barry Edwards, and I'm Merle Garrison. Nice. And uh, just a show to uh, where you can check things out, uh, where we talk about things that are in flux in our lives with people around the over 50 mark. And did you know that over 70% of entrepreneurs are Gen X or baby boomers? You know, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. It yeah. seems to be in the culture of uh, how things used to be compared to how things are. You know, it's like uh, my dad always said, if you want something, go out and get it. Yeah. Uh, no one's going to give it to you. And yeah. uh, it seems to me like there's an entitlement kind of mentality. <laughs> That's a big understatement. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, I would think exactly that. I'm the king of understatements here. <laughs> there yeah, it is. There it is. And, you know, I think we've mentioned it before, but a lot of people today get squeezed out of their corporate America job before they want to. And others just want to get the hell out of there, can't take it anymore and want to do what they've always wanted to do. So these are things that we talk about on here. Well, and, you know, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt your thought, but I got some great news on that, too. Then please do. You know, there's a lot of people that are watching our show that are real. I'm just going to read something here that uh, are, are, they're sending me comments on LinkedIn about the show. And, and there's a really positive impact that's being made. And other people are sharing uh, uh, their stories as well. So I got this message from uh, an associate of mine that I worked with in the past. Her name is Lourdes, and she said that, uh, I'm just going to read this. She says, I'm starting over too, but instead I tell myself I'm reinventing myself. I thought it would be a good idea to open up a new business at age 53. And uh, of course I wanted to know, you know, what, what kind of business are you opening? Mm -hmm. Now, this is a person that was in medical device sales. And so she says, I'm opening up an animal wellness center nice. of Ocean County in Costa Mesa. And we are a rehab facility with two veterans that'll do acupuncture, chiropractic services, laser therapy. And we'll have an indoor above ground pool, treadmill to basic and basically it's a rehab facility for animals. We'll have more of a holistic approach and uh, complement traditional veterinary medicine. And uh, she's got a business partner that she's working with as well. But what a oh, creative idea that is. And uh, a lot of guts. A lot of, Takes you know. A lot of guts. It, yes. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of upfront uh, investment in both time and money. But I thoroughly excited about hearing about that and i want to hear updates for sure yeah. hey i didn't understand where she's from 
I didn't oh, recognize that. Oh, uh, uh, Orange County. I might have said Ocean oh. County. Uh, Orange County, so just south of okay. Los Angeles, and uh, Anaheim is in Orange County. So, okay, uh, she's a real good person, a very hard worker. I, as I said, I worked with her before, but this is really branching out into something completely different as uh, Monty Pythons would say. And uh, what what a cool thing. And it's inspirational. It gives hope that you're not trapped in what yeah. you're doing. I yeah. had another associate reach out to me that I'd worked with for a long time, a person I greatly respect. His name is Eric. And uh, he just said, you know, I've been watching your show. I'm, I'm, I'm 45 this year. And I'm thinking, you know, what? What else is out there? Is this it? Am I am I mm. stuck in this for the rest of my life? And mm. I think what what we really are trying to get across in this show is that no, this isn't it. And like Lourdes, you can reinvent yourself at, at any time. It's 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 really an amazing thing. And I think that we're spreading sunshine in an area of darkness that's typically been an area of darkness. You know, you're really right about that. And we got to repeat this message all the time is now at this part, at this phase in our lives, we have more experience, maturity, tools, uh hopefully most of us have a, a little bit of uh finances to work with. It's it's a better time now than ever to go and chase that dream of yours for sure. And technology, boy, this is, you know, this is what I do in online marketing. Let me tell you something, technology today with using social media and putting together a very good website, uh, that is becomes the headquarters of your business that makes it easier to reach people than ever before. So yeah, now is the time, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm out there too. I, you know, as you know, I uh, left my position at uh, Vosera and I've been doing healthcare sales for a long time. And now I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. I've had a, a great experience, but now it's time to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to go forward? And I got to admit that, um, there are times where I feel real positive about it. Mm -hmm. And then there is those times a lot of times it's right before I go to sleep where mm. I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And, 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 and sometimes, you know, it's like, it, it, it's like there's a, 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 a person next to you whispering in your ear and saying, you're a loser. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and, and that's a tough thing to deal with. And, and so this week I talked to uh, a mentor of mine. I mentioned her, uh, I think last week, Sherry Hendricks, and I had mm -hmm. a, a great session with her on the telephone. And, and I was telling her about this little dilemma that, Hey, sometimes you know, I'm a real positive person, but sometimes thinking about this is daunting. And mm -hmm. she reminded me that, this is normal. You're, you're a normal human being. And yeah. the good news is, is that you're doing something about it right now. You're not letting that fester. Mm -hmm. uh, you're reaching out to people. You're talking to people. You're, you're moving forward. A lot of people will let that happen for months. And mm -hmm. then what will happen is it poisons your mind against mm -hmm. being able to do anything new. It, it stagnates oh, yeah. you. So she oh, yeah. had some recommendations for me that I thought I would share. Um, and uh, she said, look, here's what you do. Get into a quiet place and just think about, uh, think about things, but don't limit yourself. And here's what I want you to do as your homework. I want you to write down 
everything that's interesting to you, the things that uh, make you happy, uh, the things that give you joy, not, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, don't limit yourself to the money. Don't, don't even think about the money. Just think about what you would like to be able to do and just have a, a free flow of thoughts. That's step number one. Step number two is to write down all of the things that you will never want to do. (laughs) Things that are just out the door. And this will help you to start to narrow in on the things that are, 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 that you want to really go Mm. for. Cause it was like, well, where do you start? How do you start? I mean, I'm, I feel like a, a kite in the wind in a crazy windstorm, you know, like, oh, I want to do this. No, I don't want to do that. Wait, what about this? And, right. you know, this is a way to organize your thoughts and start to march forward. So I thought that was some great advice from Sherry to pass forward. It really is. And I really like that you shared uh, the mood swings because yeah, we all go through them and it's really important to know that. And there are times it could, you know what, it could last a whole day and it could be crippling. And there are times and they're kind of rare. I, I will also, I always get the mood swings and know that there's something better on the other side, but there's times and it'll, and it's kind of rare, but it'll take over an entire day. Yeah and, yeah. and I'll just kind of be like, you know what? This is like that cloudy day. It's, and I've heard it expressed like this before. It's just like clouds going across the sky. Mm. It's cloudy mm. for today, but it'll pass. Oh, All right? I love that. That's such it a is, great thing. It's a good think. analogy. Yeah, it truly yeah. is. So, Barry, I just read this amazing book uh, called, uh, I'm going to read it, it's called uh, uh, Bombs, Bullets, and Bribes, and it's written by uh, a guy by the name of Rick Perello. He used to be the uh, police chief for the Lindhurst Police Department there in Cleveland. He was Mm. a police chief for 10 years there. He'd been on the force for over 30 years. And he's written this book about a person by the name of Shonder Burns. Now, Shonder Burns from Cleveland was a mafia uh, uh, boss for many, many years, almost invincible. There was no way to take this guy down. He was able to slip out of just about everything, starting in around the 1930s through 1970s. This guy was notorious. And the amazing thing about this book is that as uh, things were coming to a head in the 60s and they were catching up with him, my grandfather, who was the uh, federal uh, district attorney in northeastern Ohio at the time, Merle M. McCurdy, was the guy that was going after him. And this book has so many different quotes about him, uh, not about him, by him, uh, through these court cases and everything. And it was really amazing. As a result, one of the guys that they were going after fled to Israel, and uh, my grandfather had him extradited from Israel back into the United States in order to try him. And we didn't have extradition, uh, an extradition treaty between Israel and the United States at that time. And this actually set up 
the the treaty that we did have that was formed by the United States Senate and Israel so that we do have an extradition treaty. You know, the, the ramifications of that are pretty huge because remember that guy, John Demyanyuk, that oh, yeah. was uh, yeah. Ivan the Terrible. Remember uh, Israel extradited him into mm-hmm. from from Cleveland back into Israel? Well, hey, that was that was in the 80s, but this all started out with what Merle M. McCurdy was doing. So I, this book, by the way, is a huge page turner. If you're looking for, especially Clevelanders, looking for history in Cleveland, man, it talks about all the places that you and I have been downtown, on just all, a lot of it in East Cleveland, where my folks lived, where I used to live, uh, Cleveland Heights, just amazing where you live right now. Cleveland mm-hmm. Heights is it's big in that whole thing. So I, mm-hmm. I say that all to say, get the book. It's a new book. Uh, it came out in October. But here's the the other thing of the over fifty starting over. Let me let me just finish here. Sure. Is as I read all of that, then I I couldn't help just doing a bunch of research on my grandfather Merle M. McCurdy and all of his accomplishments. You know, he he. Uh, um, was uh, I believe that he was murdered, actually. There's some controversy over that in 1968 in between uh, Martin Luther King and 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 Bobby Kennedy. But as I was reading all of this, I was starting to, you know, feel really proud. And mm-hmm. then the dark part came, like, oh, mm. what a I haven't done anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a job right now. What am I going to do? And I mean, like, like I, was, I was looking at all this last night. I was up really late. Like, oh, I got to get out of this, the whole doldrum thing and everything. Uh, Anyhow, started just trying to uh, get positive and read positive mm. things. That's what I do. I, I go to the Psalms. I read those in the mm. Bible. They're, they're uplifting. But I'm telling you, this is a real thing. And when you're comparing yourself to other people, that is usually not a good thing to do. Oh. Focus on yourself. It's always, We're always advised to not do that, for sure. Our perceptions can play a lot of tricks on us. But hey, before I forget, I wanted you to uh, tell us again. So I could put in the show notes the author and name of that book. His name is Rick Perello. It's P-O-R-R-E-L-L-O. And the name of the book is Bombs, <laughs> Bullets, and Bribes. Bombs, Bullets, and Bribes. And it just came out. You can get it on Kindle. Um, easy to download that. It's an easy read. It's about 300 pages, but I read the book in three nights. I could not stop reading that book. And that's uh, about was, mafia was, boss Shonder Burns, correct? Yes, yeah, Shonder Burns. His, his real name is Alexander, and they uh, he, he changed it when he immigrated from uh, – uh, uh, where was he? He was somewhere in Europe, uh, where he, uh, immigrated into the United States. So, uh, Shonder became his name. Burns is his last name. B I R N S. Okay. Um, let me, uh, make that note. Uh, how did you spell Burns that time? B I R N S. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, uh, appreciate that. And that makes me think about, I just wanted to mention this really quick, that <coughs> I was excited to uh, virtually meet someone yesterday, day before, I forget. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Marquis Mar- Mar- Ogden. And he was a former NFL player. And uh, I, I say this uh, kind of apologetically, he's... He's always known as uh, Jonathan Ogden's little brother. 
Jonathan Ogden, I know you quit watching uh, football a while ago for the most part. Jonathan Ogden, Hall of Famer kind of guy. Well, Marquise uh, was uh, was in the NFL for five years, and uh, so you make really good. Hey, even minimum, you make great money there. And but he had a story like he, when he wanted out, and he wanted to pursue his next passion in life. He just ha- had uh, some rude awakenings. He actually made a a multi million dollar business coming out of the mm. NFL. Uh, wow. construction business. I bought his book. So he, so he's got a book out and it's called the success cycle. And he does a lot of motiv- motivational speaking and he is very up right in line with what we talk about. And I asked him, oh, so he created this multi-million dollar business and then it just, it just, the rug got pulled out from underneath of him. He lost everything. Everything declared bankruptcy uh, on the corporate wow. side and personal side, and had to rebuild completely. And uh, man, he is just super inspiring. And yeah, he says he'd like to come on the show. So we got to get back and figure out how, how we're going to do that. We got a couple people that we want to do this with, and uh, so we got to we got to get on that. But a, a real feel good thing, and looking forward to talking to him. You know, uh, and and you're right. I did stop watching the NFL for a long time, but I did. Did you? Watch- Watch the Super Bowl this uh, this I past did. Sunday. Well, to talk a little bit about that, what'd you think of it? It was a great well, game. I I didn't watch all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was rooting for Kansas City, and it was mostly because I wanted uh, San Francisco to lose more than I wanted Kansas City to <laughs> win. <laughs> but uh, um, I I think I tuned in at the at the last nine minutes of the game, and uh, wow, that yeah. The, the comeback that, that Kansas City made was amazing. It was amazing. That was really a good, uh, exciting. Was. It was really exciting. It truly was. The, I think the best part about it, it was that was vintage Kansas City this year, dude. They uh, they did a lot of dramatic comebacks like that. I think it was the the first round of the playoff games. Uh, and, and I really like Kansas City, so I was really rooting for them. And uh, I think it was the first round of the playoff games, and I thought they were going to steamroll through the playoffs, they were down in the first quarter, 24 to nothing. And uh, I I couldn't even believe it. It was one of those where the ball bounced the wrong way, like constantly. And then all of a sudden by halftime, if I remember it all correct, by halftime they were up by three. And they Mm. ended up winning the game by like 10 or more than that. In fact, the game was over. They, They crushed. I forget who they were playing. But they crushed that team by the third quarter. The fourth quarter was just like, and they were down 24 to nothing in the first quarter. So wow. that's kind of the way they were this season, just offensively a juggernaut. I thought San Francisco's defense might put the kibosh on that juggernaut offense, though. So I was worried about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, this was the youngest quarterback ever to win the Super Bowl. And boy, he sure did look like a veteran out there to me. Very few mistakes. I mean, I only watched the last nine minutes. But here's the thing. I was watching it and they were down 10 to 20 and they kept showing the sidelines. And uh, to me, you can see it in their faces before the end of the game. It doesn't matter what the score is. You can tell who's going to win the game. And it really looked like the people on the Kansas City side of the of the ball had this look of determination that yeah. 
they would not be denied. And They've then after there. the game, I'd heard them talk about faith <laughs> and, and just believing. And that that's what the coach had talked about at halftime. And, and these guys just had faith. They could visualize their victory. And boy, I got very inspired by that whole message because again, as we talk about over 50 starting over, this is the, the key ingredient. Uh, you know, yes. if you're making a, 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 a meal or something, this is the, the secret sauce that's going to put you over the top. And it was great to see those guys win the game. Yeah, it really was. Wanted to see what you thought of the halftime show. And so, let's try not to sound like a couple of old geezers either. I did not see it, and uh, I read about it, and uh, and and Anne Marie was saying, "Well, you should probably see this before the show," but I I I chose not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just reading about it uh, was uh, I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. I heard that there were kids in cages, and they were singing, uh, you know, patriotic type songs, and then there was J Lo dancing, doing some pole dancing, and everything. And I thought, you know, what a shame. This is a a game that was a, a family game at one point, mm-hmm. and now parents have to usher their kids out of the room during halftime. Mm-hmm. What you know, this is the reason why I stopped watching the NFL mm-hmm. because I love football, but the, it, it, football is a, a a thing that we do to escape reality, really. And what they do in the NFL now is they they push politics in your face all the time. And I think that's really destructive to the game and and really the culture that uh, that we were brought up with. And it's a really a, a, an American dream culture. They've, they've stolen that away, and that's too bad. If they could have just stuck to the game, which was good in itself, uh, I think that would have been great, but uh, it's too bad. I heard that uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce didn't stand up for the national anthem as well. And mm-hmm. see, this is the kind of stuff that I think, how how disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's the culture we live in today, mm-hmm. as evidenced by all the current events that we've seen over the past week. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I feel very similar to you. From my point of view, I simply feel cheated. Like I, I almost never watch the halftime shows anymore. I just happened to be sitting there when that one came on to tell you the truth. And I don't care about the last good one that I can remember from my point of view was Prince. And cause he mm. was wailing on his guitar. Like mm, I want to see show. art and it's live. I don't mm-hmm. care about these girls lip syncing this really music that I don't care about at all. But my God, they water this. The NFL tries to water this down, you know, to hit the biggest common denominator out there. You know, I, Merle, I want to, I want to see a superstar out there showing me some artistry. That's what I want to see. And you know, JLo could have done that because I mean, she is good. There was, there's, She's very talented. I've always had respect for her talent as not only a, a performer, but an actress. And, you know, it didn't have to be like that. They chose it to be that way. Yeah. And that's, that's the shame, I think, is that it was a shame. We, we don't have to do that. It was very blatant. It was kind of like, come on, you made some really big decisions there to go with this kind of racy kind of thing. And, and again, lip syncing. I just don't think lip syncing in in a stage of that magnitude. I just don't think it has any place. I, uh, I agree. 
Well, yeah. and, and I mean, at one time, remember Nilly Vanilli? I mean, at oh, one right. time, that was really taboo. And now it's just, right. that's what they do. Expected. Uh, it, it's a ripoff. Uh, it's yeah. too bad. That's, that's sort of a ripoff. So I, anyway, the game itself was very exciting. I'm glad Kansas City won. I'm glad that San Francisco <laughs> lost. And what, I think one of the biggest reasons I wanted San Francisco to lose was because Nancy Pelosi was rooting for San Francisco. <laughs> She's had a lot of losses for uh, quite a string of losses here for a she while. She really has. She really has. She's she's been uh she's been decimated over the last few weeks. I know we're going to get into the talk yeah. about what happened, but uh boy, she's she's had a rough streak here. Yeah, I don't, if I were her, I think I would step down now. I mean, she's already lost the party and stuff and but there's a just another thing I wanted to tell you about back to over 50 starting over stuff. So, last night I had a, a reunion of our old uh, networking group, and boy, we all you know were to get most of us were together for eh, nearly ten years in doing this uh, weekly networking gig every Wednesday morning, and uh, we became very tight, and a lot of us push work back and forth, and still do. And we were got back together, and we're kind of talking about that. It's like wow, and then had the longest time. How many years has it been? And, you know, people are trying to find dates in their phone from emails and this, that, or the other. And it, it seems like it's been about nine years since that group dissolved, which is like, wow, amazing. But m most of us are still in touch to some degree. And we do get together about once a year like, like that. And it made me think. I just wanted to have a quick conversation, get your input on, you know. So a few minutes ago, I'm telling you about this guy on uh, uh, Marquise Ogden that we got together on LinkedIn and had a whole conversation. That's how right, we met. Right. And so obviously I'm pushing things out on social media all the time, but how much networking do you do anymore? Do you see the value? I still see that. We talked to Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay. Okay. And I, it's kind of like a bit of a shame that we've lost the personal touch uh, with people you know, in that regard, because we think, ah, you know, I just got five more connections on LinkedIn this week. I'm good. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I think, I think that, I don't know. What do you got? What do you make? Of oh, I, well, I, I think the art of picking up the phone is actually but no one it, answers it, the phone. It used to be an art, but uh, I think it is an art now. You're right. I mean, people, people avoid, but I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm networking around and trying to figure out what my next step is, is that I'm, I'm sending emails, I'm sending texts and I'm setting up phone calls that that's how I'm doing it right now, because you're right. It's, it's talking on the phone or, or talking face to face. There's no substitute for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this day and age where everybody's so focused on text messaging, it's don't, well, as a professional way to get this done, the best thing to do is ask for their uh, time slot availabilities and let's work something out and and let's uh, let's get on the phone and talk. In fact, uh, I was talking about Rick Perello in that book, mm -hmm. uh, Bombs, Bullets and, and Bribes, and I was so interested that I reached out to him on Facebook and he and I actually have an interview together uh, next Wednesday. We're going to be talking about uh, this book and about Merle M. McCurdy. And, you know, that's the way you do it. You just anybody 
uh, out there that you want to talk to, you can reach out to. But the best thing to do is turn that into a phone call, even mm. a Skype call these days, like we're doing. I mean, nice. it's, it's, it's powerful. So yeah. and I'm really excited about that call with Rick. Oh, cool. That does sound exciting. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, so moving along, we're already halfway through the what happened over there? Oh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I lost my mic. Over there. I, uh, I, I've had these allergies lately, and uh, it hap- happens a lot this time of year. You would think for the uh, first couple years of it, I thought I had a cold. And, you know, a doctor ended up telling me that it's allergies, and then, yeah, it became rather obvious as well, especially when it – Anyways, so that's every now and then I go through this whole coughing thing. That's that's what I got going on now. I wanted to share something funny with you before I get into a serious subject that I want you to address. Uh, but this was just uh, seriously funny. I was I've been so into YouTube for quite a while now uh, because I like the quick bits of information I get and that kind of thing. But also sometimes I just find some quick funny stuff. And I think, you know, I, I watch or listen to Joe Rogan's podcast all the time. Right, right. And I will catch bit bits and pieces of it on YouTube. He does like we do. It videotapes it and it's audio, but usually I listen to audio. And I came across this very old YouTube video that uh, basically I was caught by surprise because it's Joe Rogan chokes out crazy guy and i'm like joe is a really nice guy and that just doesn't sound right i gotta see what this is about and then so i started watching it and then what i always do i love the comments i like the comments more than anything they are interesting (laughs) yes and then i noticed they're all talking about the guy in the background and not about joe in this confrontation can you see the youtube video right now i cannot Oh, real. Oh, I see. Start sharing. Okay. So I I have it set to the one point. I got to read this one comment after I show you just a little bit. Watch the guy in the green in the background. And Merle, I didn't even notice him the first time. What is going on here? So Joe is kind of fighting. <laughs> 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 He's having an argument with this guy. This guy in the background is really high. And uh, obviously. So- <laughs> wow. So he's got all kinds of uh, expressions going on and so on when you you notice it. And then the first comment that I read is, dude in the green is so high, he's flickering through dimensions. (laughs) And I busted up laughing. I totally died. I had to go back and watch the whole video. He's flickering between dimensions. 
I just I, thought that was hysterical. I, so I had to share that. that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, it, it speaks to the opioid problem that we're having. <laughs> right. And this thing's probably 20 years old, this video. But for those of you that are listening, if, you want, if you're curious, that you could just go to YouTube and uh, search Joe Rogan chokes out crazy guy and watch the guy in the background. <laughs> so too funny. So there's a whole lot more of him like that. There are other co- comments. One guy says, this guy can hear his hair growing right now. And then <laughs> someone else is like he is totally concentrating on not dying right now that does uh, seem to be right well i'll tell you as you get towards the end here i feel sorry for this guy i hope i'm looking for oh because he starts clutching his heart and stuff around so all right, that that that's enough of that. I'm gonna get us off the screen share here, but I, I just thought that was so funny that I had to share it with you. He's like Jim Ignatowski from Taxi back there. Oh, right, you're exactly right. That's a great comparison. Are we back? Uh, yeah, we yeah, start? we're back. We're back. Hey, I, uh, you, yeah. you had something you want, wanted to run by me? Sure do. All I right. sure do. And I've wanted to for a while. I forgot about it last week, and it's just such a big and serious subject that I want to leave a good amount of time for you to talk about it. I have a friend. Lisa and I have a good friend uh, close to the family. He's gay. He's black. Uh, He's been fighting a weight problem for quite some time. And he's very Christian, very Christian, conservative Republican. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. he's got a lot going on here. And he's very conflicted with how uh, the gay lifestyle, which he has been trying to fix, if you want to call it that, whatever. He's very conflicted with being gay and being a Christian at the same time. He doesn't see them adding up at all. So it causes him so much anxiety, so much anxiety, guilt, and all of that. He doesn't know how to reconcile it. And Lisa and I are both of the same uh, same mindset of, man, accept yourself for who, who you are. You, you know, you're just fine and it's not, you know, you're just killing yourself, uh, condemning yourself like this for your entire life. But, you know, we're rather more liberal in that sense, whereas you totally get this as a conservative Christian. So, man, what, what do you got to say about that? What do you have to say to my friend? Well, first off, I would ask you, you were saying that um, is is he trying to change? Is that what he wants to do? Or is he feeling pressure that he has to change and therefore he's he's trying to change because he wants to be a, a so-called good person? I think you hit it there at the end where he thinks he has to change because he wants to be a so-called good person. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, first off, here's, here's my take is that as a Christian, uh, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, uh, we all have things in our lives that we're not happy about that we want to change. And, um, and, 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 you know, I cannot deny what the Bible says about sin, sin is sin and the wages of sin are death. And that that's in there. So that's, that's obviously not a positive thing, but however, I would say this, that Jesus Christ came in order to 
take our sin upon himself and become that sin. In other words, become just like us on the cross. And then he took all of that sin like a sponge and, and buried it away with the death of his body. And then he rose again in righteousness so that the separating wall between us and God is gone. And therefore, I love the advice that you and 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 Lisa are giving him is, you know, just be yourself. And the 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 real uh, the real message of the Bible isn't how much you love God. It's how much God loves you. And so there are things about us that, you know, we can't change on our own. We can go ahead and try to change. And, you know, uh, we could also say things like, you know, well, that's how God made me. Uh, and so that's uh, how can I change? Well, the fact is, is that God doesn't make any mistakes. And the other fact is, is that we, we live in a fallen world. So we look around and we see all of this pain and misery. That's not what God God meant uh, for your friend. God doesn't want your friend to be uh, in misery. He doesn't want him to be down on himself. In fact, when God looks on him, he sees a perfect human being, just like he looks at Jesus Christ, his son, God, the father. He looks at your friend and sees that he's not seeing sin. He's not judging sin. He's welcoming him. He loves him just the way he is. <laughs> Now, like a good parent, and we call God the Father, the Father for a reason, because he's our heavenly Father. Like a good parent, if I were to see, for instance, uh, my son when he was a little boy going into the medicine cabinet and, and taking poison, I would probably want to knock that out of his hand or stop him from doing that in any way. So, so you know, there are things in life uh, like, for instance, lying that uh, really can hurt other people, but mostly it hurts you. And so people are very condemned about uh, the homosexual lifestyle that are Christians. But my advice would be take the focus off of yourself and put your focus on how God sees you. And God sees you as a person that if you were the only one left on earth, and you needed to be saved. By the way, people that are perfect don't need to be saved. The people that are flawed need to be saved. The people that have mistakes, the people that want to change, those are the people that need to be to, to be saved. He, If he were the only one left on earth, he would go to the cross for him personally. And not only that, there's no requirement for him to change for God to love him. And I think that the message that has come out of the Christian churches, and uh, people are people make mistakes even in the church. the The message is is that oh, uh, you can't be a part of Christianity. Uh, homosexuality is an abomination. And while it says that that the act of homosexuality is an, an abomination. Um, it does it pretty much all sin is an abomination to the Lord. And God became an abomination so that he could be like us uh, and relate to us and also love us. So the fact is, is that the church has been chasing away people that are homosexuals by judging them. But Christ has taken all judgment unto himself so that 
the judgment wouldn't be on us. It says in the Bible that it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. His righteousness he has given to you, my friend, I don't even know his name, he's given it to you as a gift. And that means perfect standing with God. You don't have to do anything for God to see you that way. And the more you focus on that, the more those dark feelings are going to go away. I feel like what he's going through is a spiritual attack that is not coming from God. And when he starts to realize that God is for him, and he may never change as far as his his lifestyle goes, God's always going to be for him. Maybe he will change, but if he really wants to change, God is the one that'll do the changing for you. He doesn't have to do anything. Just be happy that God loves you and God is for you. And that's really the message of the Bible. And really, um, I believe that the church should be preaching that. Mm, I I think that's really powerful, and I like that you could explain that very eloquently in the Christian terms. Because I think it's it. I think most people would have a very hard time with that. Uh, how to express themselves on this subject? I would go ahead and put a bow on this, saying that what you're saying. Go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong or or add to it. But it seems to me what you're saying is if you embrace the unconditional love of God. It will supply any healing that you need. That's and very well I said. I believe that. I yeah, believe it. Very well said. And and I can see that in my own life as well. I mean, heck, I used to I used to work at Geauga Lake, the old Geauga Lake, and uh, we were we were ripping people off, man. And um, you know, we were telling them that they lost when they really won. You were and a carny. You, know yes. you didn't say that. You were a carny. I was, yes. so they were working in a carnival game. I was a carny, and we were that's what we were doing. And everybody knew that's what we were doing. They would be they'd come over to the game and go, Hey man, this is a ripoff. How much is it? <laughs> <laughs> but but here's what I'm saying is in the Bible, uh, it calls false measures uh, and lying abominations. Here's the here's the point is that that didn't mean I was an abomination. Those, I yes, I did that as a profession, but that's not who I was. Being a homosexual isn't who you are. Being a black man, as I am, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I'm a human being. That's who I really am. And so we need to really, oh, here's another one. Uh, I remember when I got laid off from a job one time and I was out of work for about six months and boy, I went into a funk and a real depression. And it was because I had wrapped up my whole being in what I did for a living. And um, it really came to a head one day when I, I, I freaked out and acted so not like myself on, on the street one day. I wanted to beat up a homeless guy that tried to punch me in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I had to cover myself and say, wait a second, what, what is wrong with me? And I started, I got involved in a group uh, that was very healing for me and, and uh, started to really realize that, hey, that person at work, the job title, that's not who I am either. So it's a very dangerous to wrap up what you do with who you are. You're a child of God. 
And remember that, again, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. You look at what he did for you, how much he loves you. Another thing Jesus said is there's no better friend that would lay his life down for another friend. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for all of us. He's your friend. He's not condemning you. All of God's wrath was poured out on him on your behalf so that he can love you more than your parents could ever even fathom that love could be. That love is available to you today and now and forevermore. Mm. That's again, that's really powerful stuff, Merle. I like that. Well, <clears throat> you left out a little tiny thing about when you were really at wit's end and you realize that you put your entire identity into your career and that's what was causing you the anxiety in the moment of struggle about a six month period of struggle wasn't it yeah and it was. so you joined that group and it was a group of people trying to find uh, a new beginning and that kind of thing you not only joined them you became the leader and that is when everything started to turn around for you and your career got right back on track. It's kind of like when you got over the victim, the feeling like a victim and you put yourself out there for other people, that changes your mojo. It, it changes sure your, all your energy and everything. It changes everything. I, I wasn't going in there trying to be the leader. There was about 30 people in this group. And uh, the first day they were, maybe it was the second day I was there, they were voting on a new president. And somebody said, I know who should be the president. It should be Merle. And then everyone, every, anyone that wants Merle to be president, say I. They all said I at the same time. And so I was the fact of president. And, uh, I, you know, you're right. Uh, it was for about a four-month period I worked with these people. And we worked together trying to help each other to find themselves find what they really wanted to do i so many people ahead of me were finding these new careers and these new things that they were excited about and man the 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 joy and the glory of being a part of that and then one day it happened to me as well and i'm telling you it, was, it led to some of the best experiences that i've ever had and i'm just saying that you know, take your eyes off of yourself, put them on your fellow man, put them on your neighbor, love thy neighbor. Um, it, it, when you start helping other people, man, there's a, there's a, a, an energy that just starts to well up on the inside of you. And, and, you know, from that point on, I've really based my, my whole life on that. And even as I go through this time of, uh, when I left Vosera, I really, because of what I'd learned in the past, I was able to so enjoy my time and relax and put my destiny in God's hands and just trust that he knows what he's doing and he's He's leading me to a good place, even better place than I was before. So, you know, I, I, he's He's not just for me, he's for you too. He, he, he's, no, he's not indiscriminate. He, he loves you. He's got the power to love you like you're the only other person in the world. That's what makes him God. Uh, again, that's that's a great follow-up. It's, you know, a lot of our, our problem today is, I know you'll agree with this, is the d divisiveness that we live in today. And we were just talking, here's a good one for you. We were just talking about that halftime show a few minutes ago. I remember I went on Twitter, which I never do to see what they were saying on there. It took about two minutes from that to go 
uh, from, ah, that wasn't what I want my kids to be seeing on halftime, to, yeah, that's because you're racist about two strong Latinas being uh, strong women. Dude, I never had a thought about them being Latina until that person said that. And you know what? I still don't care. It still you know, doesn't mean anything to me. That's what the racist thing is, is looking at a situation and, and picking out racism that way. That's trying the real, hard. That's the real racism right there. Is. is you're you're it trying is. you're trying to find racism. There was a I, I saw on Twitter um a, a post by Claire McCaskill and it was a picture of uh, an airplane inside the airplane and it was Donald Trump's team in there and they were all sitting and in the middle of the aisle was Ben Carson. And so Claire McCaskill's comment was that um, one of these things is not like the other. Look, they put Ben in the middle and he had to squat down while everybody else is sitting. And um, and so this was, you know, so oh. this is prejudice that yeah. he's in the middle right here. And, and right. she got so much. I Like you say, I like to read the comments, too. And the comments yeah. were, um, you're the real racist to be able to pick that out of a, of a perfectly good picture. And then right. finally Donald Trump weighed in and said the reason he had to go into the middle like that was because he was sitting in first class with my family. And in order to be in the picture, he had to move over there. And, oh, by the way, how's unemployment going? <laughs> I thought that was a good one because she lost her race. <laughs> oh God, anyway I, I think we need to segue here over yeah, to we do. Uh, some important things here yes. I, I wanted to ask you i mean we've got the uh, the end of the impeachment um the 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 vote for non-witnesses we've got the uh the the state of the union and uh, i just want to start at the and state the iowa caucus oh in the yeah. iowa caucus so what so we've got like 15 this? minutes and there's no way we could talk about all of that so we're going to have the pick and moves you most. You go ahead. Uh, all right. The the State of the Union address. Um, I majored in rhetoric and communications, and in that in that major, we had to study pretty much all of the State of the Union addresses uh, that were ever given. Um, there's, by the way, there's no requirement that the president actually give a speech in front of Congress. So for many years, it was a uh, a report that was given to Congress at the beginning of the year. So, uh, but the speeches are where we are today. And I have seen live the last, this was my 40th one that I've seen live. I've been watching the state of the union since 1980. And, uh, and then I studied many of them before that as well. And I felt like this one was the best. Uh, oh. There were many times during it that I cried for joy. Um, I've never cried <laughs> during a state of a union address, but I thought there were so many beautiful things that were in that state of the union that just gave me hope and made me proud to be an American. Some of the things that stood out for me were the, uh, the 100 year old Tuskegee airman, uh, that, uh, was, was given a, a promotion to general by president Trump that day. And did you see him stand up and take a bow? I mean, for a hundred year old man, boy, he is spry. And the yes. other thing about the Tuskegee airmen is that, uh, these guys were some of the most, uh, vicious fighters against the Nazis, uh, that the Nazis were 
deathly afraid of them. Um, their planes had a red painting on the tail, and they, when they saw those red tails, uh, they they went running. Uh, they they needed they knew what they were up against. So, but the Tuskegee Airmen really never got any credit until fifty years after the war was over. And mm-hmm. so, for President Trump to honor this Tuskegee Airman, the only one left uh, in the State of the Union. Not only is that a great thing for America, but also what a tribute to black America as well. The other one was that little girl when she won, uh, when she was awarded that scholarship to go to the school of choice and the smile that came across her face. You could see that she was learning that for the first time. Or how about the... uh, uh, the servicemen that uh, they surprised the family and uh, he came home right there in front of us. And then finally, uh, the Medal of Freedom going to Rush Limbaugh. All of these things made me so choked up as I watched this. But I really felt like Trump uh, came in there with such poise, especially in the face of the uh, the vote for conviction of, or acquittal coming the next day. Uh, it was very measured. He never mentioned the impeachment. There wasn't any divisiveness. Uh, there was so much truth in the statistics that he was talking about all of these amazing accomplishments. Again, as I study history, I don't know of any president that made all of these campaign promises and within three years had been able to not only accomplish all of those, but even more. Uh, what great news for America, uh, you know, when we look at unemployment levels at all time lows, we look at uh, new job creation, uh, 72% of those jobs going to women. Uh, we look at, uh, the, you know, unemployment at all time lows for blacks and Hispanics. We look at the economy. We look at the stock market. We look at uh, what we're doing with uh, with Israel and and settling the the peace talks. And not only that, the trade agreements that he promised, NAFTA and China capitulating. Amazing, amazing stuff. And um, what I also saw was that in the face of all of these things that all Americans should be excited about, the American dream. I saw the Democratic Party in unison not rising to clap for anything. Uh, that I mean, this isn't about the president. This is about America. So are you telling me that you don't stand for all of these things that I thought that they stood for, um, for the people? I was shocked by that, but more shocking to me was was what happened at the end where Nancy Pelosi ripped up the State of the Union. And I I really thought that was the most terrible thing I have actually seen in politics in my entire life, and probably the most childish thing. And uh, what did you think about that? How was Uh, was your your thinking? I got all kinds of... uh... Conflicting thoughts from yours, but I will. I got to pick up with the Pelosi thing. I thought it was very childish. And someone told me, I think it was last night at the get together, someone said that she actually paused 
to wait to the camera to swing back around on her so she could make the grandstanding gesture about her. I'm not uh, surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either. Now, State of the Unions for me drive me crazy because I want to see, like an NFL game on YouTube, the highlights. I want all of that cheering uh, cut out in between so I could watch it all in about 20 minutes. And <laughs> so it drives me crazy. So I did wait and watch on YouTube where I could manually just like, here's the applause and I could hit it and skip through it a little bit more. <clears throat> I, uh, I read after the fact that there, that all of the grandiose statistics, this would not surprise me at all, were highly exaggerated. And of course, you know, when it's the left, they say it's all lies. They said the entire speech was lies. Now, yeah, you could also uh, read between the lines and say, yeah, they were exaggerated statistics. Probably. I don't know. I didn't spend the next two days fact checking at all. Um, so, you know, there's that that part of it. Uh, I, I love the whole stuff about honoring people up until uh, Rush Limbaugh getting the whatever that model was. Medal I'm of not a, yeah, I'm not a Rush Limbaugh fan at all. Just I think anybody that never disagrees with their team isn't thinking for themselves. They're, they're looking to justify. Rush Limbaugh has never disagreed with a Republican statement, value, anything ever in his life. That's so, not true. That's not true. Well, yeah, he's, okay. he's an independent thinker. I, I, I listened to Rush for many years and he has things. He criticizes Republicans just like he criticizes Democrats. And the other thing, too, is that the liberal media came out and said that this guy's a racist. So uh, I, I find it very hard to believe what you read about these things unless you've experienced them. The other thing, too, is that um, the statistics that he came up with uh, – I do not believe we're highly exaggerated. These are statistics that are coming from our federal agencies. Uh, these are not things that he came out and made up. So I found that to be disingenuous when it came out. And I also believe that um, not only was this uh, impeachment uh, a sham, because really the articles of impeachment did not rise to the level of treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors, sure. but not only that, the whole thing, the way that it started, the House didn't vote on impeachment, and it was all on Nancy Pelosi's, uh, um, you know, authority. And not only that, but you had 17 witnesses in the House, where the witnesses are supposed to be, by the way, not in the Senate. They're supposed to be in the House. They had all the time in the world that they could have called the witnesses. They had 17 witnesses. The president had none. He wasn't allowed to call witnesses. He could call witnesses, but they had to be approved by Adam, Adam Schiff. And none of them were approved. Right. And so it was, uh, um, I find the whole thing to be disingenuous. I find the media to be an arm of a propaganda arm of the <laughs> Democratic Party. And I found Nancy Pelosi's actions to be completely divisive and dividing of the country. Even the uh, dressing in white um, as a, uh, a suffragette type of solidarity thing. 
you know, why didn't they why didn't they clap when they heard that the new job, 72 percent of them were going to women? I don't understand this. And by the way, one of the guys that I found to be a hero of the impeachment is uh, Jonathan Turley, who is a, a professor, a constitutional professor. And one of the, I'm just going to read what he wrote after the uh, after the State of the Union. He's, he wrote, if Trump made the State of the Union look like Oprah, then Pelosi made it look like Jerry Springer. He said... <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> he said the act was more important to Pelosi than preserving the tradition of her office. In doing so, she forfeited the right to occupy that office. If Pelosi cannot maintain the dignity of neutrality of her office at the State of the Union, she should resign as the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And I got to tell you, I totally agree with that. I do um, too. I found it. Um, extremely distracting during the State of the Union and, and completely disrespectful that, you know, during the State of the Union, what are you doing? Reading the speech back there? I, I, I Holding it up in front of your face, making all of these different faces. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I also found that uh, the catcalls and the trying to talk over the president during during his actual speech to be completely divisive and disrespectful of the office of the president. I remember uh, there was a time during the Obama administration that one of the Republican senators yelled out, uh, you're a liar. It's a lie. Yeah. And, yeah, and I found that to be uh, distasteful as well and disrespectful. And I think that you know, whether there's a it's a Democrat that you don't agree with or a Republican that you don't agree with, there's a, a dignity to the office of the president. And um, and, and then that brings me to uh, the acquittal, <clears throat> uh, which I everybody knew he was going to be acquitted. And so that wasn't a, uh, a surprise for anybody. But what was surprising to me was the vote by Mitt Romney. Yeah, me too. And I gotta say, I I voted for Mitt Romney when he was running against Obama. Now, as I look back on it, I think, well, I'm kind of embarrassed that I voted for Mitt Romney. And thank God he didn't win the presidency. Uh, here's a guy that, you know, look, I study the Constitution. I study the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, the writings of uh, Cicero and Aristotle and many of the other uh, writers that the Founding Fathers were studying in order to come up with the Constitution. And so uh, I, 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 I know about this stuff. And when you look at Mitt Romney voting that uh, that this um, obstruction what was it abuse of power that he voted on um, it, it flies in the face of everything that our founders believed in and then I also found it very interesting that not one Democrat voted in favor of acquittal when oh would have been roasted alive would have been but here here I hear Mitt Romney say that he couldn't uh, vote to acquit because of his conscience. And when I think about that, and I think about the truth of the Constitution, the truth of the arguments that were made, and that the Senate is supposed to stand for the truth, and, and Federalist 65 talks about the Senate being the most important deliberative body, not only in the country, but in the world. When you take a look at the partisanship there, and how people, rather than voting for America, they voted for their party. It seems like a sellout to me. And uh, I was 
very disappointed. I am too, Merle. It's uh, again, we've talked about this many times, the damage that this has done to the constitution. Uh, I don't know where it goes from here, but yeah, when people in, I think Mitt Romney is a good example is a, is the prime example, uh, somebody that his emotions, his hatred overtook the, uh, what, what the right thing to do and the right thing to do in that you used uh, a phrase before about separating yourself, uh, where the office means more then and the constitution means more than what's going on in your in your heart or your head and i'm telling you man that trump derangement syndrome is real and it is a poison it is just I it's agree. overtaken everything and and you know here's another thing that i think too barry is that everybody keeps on well they hate trump they hate trump well they might hate trump that might be true but here's the thing is that I think it goes a lot deeper than that. They they don't hate Trump. They hate his ideology. And the ideology is the ideology of freedom mm-hmm. and um and our an, uh, our unalienable rights. And that to me as I saw the state of the union is what really stuck out is that it seems like the Democratic Party doesn't stand for our rights as evidenced in the house where there was no due process for the president. <laughs> Right. If there's no due process for the most important office in the country, then how are they going to treat you and I? Um, it, it, the other thing, too, is that they refuse to take these subpoenas to the court, to have these subpoenas uh, uh, that they were giving to the president that he refused to comply with, which is the president's right. That's a that's a precedent set throughout history. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing you're supposed to do is take it to the court, and they refused to take it to the court and went straight to impeachment. That's mm-hmm. unprecedented. This yeah. uh, and and so why wouldn't they take it to the court? And here's an interesting thing: if you go back in time, um, it was during the Obama administration that uh, Harry Reid was able to dispatch with the filibuster rule um, for appointing judges, and that was really the minority's only recourse in being able to delay or stop a federal judge from going on the bench. And what that did was it opened up the way for Obama to put in as many federal judges as he could without opposition from the minority, which was the Republican Party. Well, uh, the Senate has changed, and now the Senate majority is Republican and has been ever since President Trump has been in office, and now that's worked against the Democrats. President Trump has put in more federal judges. Of course, he's put in two Supreme Court justices, which changes the balance of power uh, in in the Supreme Court, but nobody's looking at the appellate court, which is where these subpoenas would have gone, and this is why they didn't want to send it there, because... Because the appellate court in our judicial system on the federal level is now very much conservative. So they knew that they would fail if they brought this to court. And they knew that they could they could just ramrod this through and then indict the president for something that most people don't realize is what the precedented course of action is. And that's just deception right there. Mm-hmm. But uh, so so I want to just transition to one last subject, which mm-hmm. is the Iowa caucus. 
Mm. Uh, how unfortunate that this has happened, especially as Adam Schiff was making his closing arguments on Monday and talking about how we have to quit, we have to convict this president because he cheated on the 2016 election, which, by the way, was proven by the Mueller report that that's not true, right. um, and that he, we know his character. <laughs> And that he's going to cheat on the elections again, so we can't rely on the the American people's vote. We oh. have to, we have to get rid of this person because he's going to cheat on the election. Now, in the background, we know this: that they do not want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee for the for the uh, Democratic Party. So, what we've seen in Iowa has been a train wreck. Uh, this app that crashed was, um, interestingly, uh, very associated before this whole thing with Hillary Clinton's campaign. Uh, not only that, but uh, uh, Buttigieg uh, had a relationship with this company as well before the Iowa convention where his party had given $45,000 to uh, this this company that created the app. And now we see Buttigieg in the lead where all the polls were saying that Sanders was in the lead and an investigative reporter has found that uh, as they started to look at the uh, the districts and the results that were coming in from the districts that there were rounding errors at least 30 rounding errors that they found in these districts where the rounding went to Buttigieg rather than Bernie Sanders. And so what we're seeing is a very interesting thing. And, and today is the, look, that was on Monday night. We still don't have the final results for that. So who are we supposed to believe here? Who's no. cheating on the elections here? This is a very, very interesting thing that I think really everybody should be paying attention to. Well, Merle, how can you doubt the guy that has looked into the camera for two and a half years and guaranteed that he has proof of Russian collusion? How can you doubt doubt that guy? Not only that, but he also said that the uh, the FISA applications by the FBI were not uh, were not fudged in any way, and they were completely legitimate in the face of. Uh, Devin Nunes's report saying that no, these things have been uh, these things have been falsified, and now the evidence has come out. Now there's this complete distrust of the FISA court and the FBI. This has damaged American trust in our democracy, and it seems like it's all coming from one side. Well, you know, the talk of draining the swamp was for a good reason. I mean, seriously, and I believe. That's why all of this is happening. And, and yeah. by the way, Nixon in 72 for his reelection, that was the campaign he was running on as well. He won in a landslide. He won 49 of the 50 states. And within two years, he had to resign. Mm, right, right. So it's we're at an hour and eight. I just want to ask you this. Where does it go from here? Because I... I I've always been afraid that there's just no stopping it. How do I put this? I have a friend that got divorced from a, a, a really nice 
uh, woman, girl that had a kid with this crazy guy. And this crazy guy would keep taking her to court because there's never anything, any kind of retribution for it. You want to take somebody to court, you take them to court. And it was over and over and over again. And I mean, it was very abusive from his end, but there's never retribution. I feel like this is the same thing that we're looking at here. My question is, I've asked this like every week, is there a way to fix this? Is there retribution? Yes. And so what we're going to see here up and up until the election is more of the same. We already saw where, uh, um, uh, Nadler is saying that the House is going, the Judiciary Committee is going to call John Bolton in to testify. So, I mean, they are not going to stop. They will never stop. That's in their DNA. The only way to stop these guys is in the 2020 election. And I believe that um, what Nancy Pelosi and company have done is that they have not only emboldened the Republicans, as evidenced by the Iowa caucus, they had a record turnout of Republicans voting for Trump when he's really not even running against anybody. And they had very low numbers when it came to the Democratic Party. This is a preview of what's going to happen in 2020. Um, The Democrats, if they keep on going down this path, and I think they've entered a point of no return, are going to get shellacked in 2020. Now, Mm. here's the good news is even today, Rick Scott, a senator from Florida, has introduced an amendment uh, that would prevent uh, Congress from doing anything like they had done regarding the impeachment again. So Mm -hmm. what I'm seeing is this, is that when the Republicans win the House back, they're going to have an opportunity to change things that are broken. Um, Uh, One of the things like, now an amendment isn't easy to pass. Uh, You've got to have a uh, two thirds of both houses voting in favor in order to mm. get that. And then the states have to ratify it as well. Mm. Well, Most of the states out there are conservative now. So I really see that there is an opportunity to change things regarding this. Okay, because really, if this is the precedent, uh, the president of the United States doesn't matter which party is going to get impeached every time. Mm -hmm. And I also see an opportunity to introduce term limits so that we don't have these old cronies that are in there that are becoming, you know, multi multi millionaires off of lobbyists and other nefarious Mm -hmm. means. I see this as a, um, a ray of sunshine in the midst of all of this darkness that we see. And not only that, but the investigation into Joe Biden and his son and some of these other things is ongoing. And the attorney general is going to be coming out with a report in the springtime, uh, which is going to show it's a criminal investigation. It's going to show up what's really been going on. So I say stay tuned and stay in faith. Uh, America, it, 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 I, let's put it this way. I believe what President Trump said at the end of his State of the Union speech, which is, the best is yet to come, Barry. Wow. Great. That's a great way to end the podcast. And uh, that was a very good podcast. We covered a ton. Um, I really appreciate your takes on things. You came strong, strong this week. I appreciate you too, Barry. 
All right, buddy. Hey, we'll talk again next week. Oh, thanks, everybody. And please uh, subscribe to our channels. You'll see all of them on over50startingover.com. Spell that out. There's no numerals in there. Leave us a message at mail at over50startingover.com or on our YouTube channel. Reach out. We'd like to hear what you got to say. And uh, with that, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.